0: Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacy Toth of realeverything.com. I'm all about loving the skin you're in and being healthy inside and out.
1: And I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne of thePaleoMom.com. I believe that scientific literacy is the key to improving public health.
0: Well, listeners, have we got a special treat for you today on episode 453 of The Whole View. We are taking a relook at some of our old shows and the science of it and updating you on, well, the science. (laughs) (laughs) I think this plays overall into the message that um, science is an evolutionary process. Things change. We learn. We grow. Um, Not just that, but also in life, things change and we learn and we grow. And so we've got years of podcasts of content that you might not have listened to before that we want to kind of bring back up to the forefront as being relevant or in this case um, is not even that old but we already have updated science on it that we want to share with you. So we're starting to kick off um, some podcasts. I don't know if it's it's going to be a series or what but essentially we're re-inviting you (laughs) <laughs> to content that we really um are some of our favorite shows because we want to make sure you don't miss them and um updating them for you, I actually so i mean part of
1: part of choosing this one to to uh, start this with um was some new exciting science that i I really felt like directly updates uh, this episode. But for me, when I was sort of thinking about, um you know really the opportunity to highlight our favorite shows and um and be able to you know bring this back up in into into the the conversation for me i was thinking about the shows that impacted my life directly and this is one of my favorite examples of it because the act of researching for this episode changed like I made changes in my life as a direct result I went holy smokes I need to figure out how to eat breakfast every morning this is really really important and I I naturally don't and I naturally don't I think because of cortisol which is going to be part of our research update after you guys get to to listen to this awesome one of our top favorite episodes ever
0: Welcome back to the Paleo View, episode 381, whereby Stacy's heart is going to be broken. (laughs) As we discuss breakfast, is it the most important meal of the day? Yep. I, so this is kind of interesting. We we started talking about this as we were chatting before the show, and I was like, "Well, well, let's just save it before we jump in so we do have a question from a listener but I just kind of want to lay the groundwork on this which is that as with everything bio-individuality plays an important role and for me I don't have a gallbladder and I have learned that breakfast is very difficult for my body in the morning because I don't have a gallbladder to have built up bile all night long and if I go too hard with whatever it is that I'm eating, it really doesn't matter. I've played with so many different things. I if I like nibble a bit, and then I have a meal, it's okay, because my stomach acid will kind of like build up. Or if I have a coffee with significant, I'm saying significant with quotation marks, significant calories from collagen and heavy cream, and that'll get my body kind of like digesting a little bit. And then I can have like, usually an 11 o'clock brunch, but it's not really a brunch. It's like my first meal. And then I have something else, usually like a heavy snack, um, maybe like two o'clock before dinner or something. Um, It really, I know that it's not so great for my metabolism. (laughs) We're going to talk about that. Nope. But I I just really, am looking forward to your suggestions and ideas and how to solve that because I don't, like taking a bunch of supplements. I've gotten myself off of them and so I'm just going to be whiny if you tell me I have <laughs> to take them again.
1: Um hopefully um hopefully once I get through the science and we get into like brainstorming strategies, we can we can find a solution that doesn't involve supplements that will work really well. But I I want to cuz um you know, as our listeners have probably gathered, uh, probably because of the title of this episode in their feed. Also, I said it. Yeah, you did. The importance of breakfast. Is it the most important meal of the day? And um, and we've got a, a really great listener question. It starts off by flattering us, which is clearly the way to get your question read on the show. Um, but also, when I read this, I was like, oh, you know, I I've done a couple of blog posts about breakfasts and how, you know, it's interesting to me because the... Effect of eating in the morning, contingent. It sort of tangentially is related to intermittent fasting research, um, and in some cases, it's sort of looking at an early feeding window versus a late feeding window. So if you only eat two meals, is it better to eat breakfast and lunch versus lunch and dinner? And then sometimes it looks at more sort of free form, like what just happens if you tell somebody to eat breakfast versus tell somebody to skip it, and what do they do? Do they start grazing? Do they snack? Do they? Um, you know, do they heavily weight their calories towards the end of the day? And that, that research is really interesting. And as I was sort of looking at what's, what's new in this field over the last couple of years, I realized that, um, you know, not to, not to spoil the conclusion of the entire show, but yeah, breakfast is really, really important. And I am naturally, um, I naturally lean towards what's called sumo dieting. Have you ever heard
0: of this term? Uh, um I can't say that I have,
1: no. so it uh references the eating pattern where you um load the majority of your caloric intake in the later part of the day, so for me, I really have to be intentional to eat breakfast. It's really easy for me to to not eat until two or three o'clock in the afternoon, but then I want to eat all of the things and i then my my i'm trying to like catch up on the caloric intake with between a snack and a and a dinner and uh that's easy for me i'm sure i can eat my entire day's worth of calories in one meal that sounds fun um and that's like my natural tendency is to um not eat not eat not eat and then overeat and i go through periods of time where i'm better at getting into that routine of eating three meals a day but then I get through periods of time where it's like you Stacy I just I'm not interested in food in the morning and I've noticed over the last few years that it very very strongly correlates with stress which is interesting because we're going to get into what cortisol is doing in this whole system and this last our, our listeners know I I haven't talked about it a lot on the show but I've had a really rough fall and um due to stress I just uh, want to be clear
0: you Autumn you did not fall down you no, said no, you r- said I've had a very l- rough fall, and I imagine that at least two listeners were like, "Oh my gosh, are you okay?" And no, <laughs> the
1: gravity and I are getting along just fine. Um, we haven't had any altercations. Um, no, no, a rough autumn, as in the the, the third season of, of the year. Um, you know, and I I don't I don't want to belabor it now, but um, just being uh, overextended in terms of projects. And travel. And then my father's heart attack, which was a a huge emotional stress on top of everything was just enough to have the wheels really fall off the cart for me this autumn. And, um, and so in, um, really like finding myself struggling with my health again, I'm also realizing that I'm back to this sumo dieting eating pattern. So doing the research for this show made me go, okay, this is, this is an action point for me. This is a Relatively straightforward thing for me to do, which is to make myself eat breakfast. So let's let's read the question, sort of dive into the science behind why breakfast is actually important and what happens when we skip it, especially regularly, and then we can you know wrap up with some practical strategies for making a breakfast easy and enjoyable and digestible.
0: I'm excited, but also scared. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: uh this is the listener's question hey ladies i look so forward to tuning in each week to listen in on your conversations thank you for all the work you both do to educate us i guess i'm a long-time listener first-time caller here's my question how important is it to eat breakfast i'm usually up and out of bed by 7 a.m coffee in hand by 7:15, but i don't get hungry until 11 Then, I'm a grazer until about 3 p.m., dinner is around 7, and I'm in bed by 8.30, asleep in about an hour. Sarah, I do take your sleep advice very seriously and have made sleep number one. I would really like to drop about 15 pounds, and I'm willing to make a shift in when I eat if that would help. Am I missing out on important health benefits by skipping breakfast? Um, I mean, the short answer is Um, Yes, it appears as though breakfast is a really important uh, metabolic control, and that is a a really interesting thing because it relates to both the hormones that are required to supply our bodies with energy in the morning if we don't have energy supplied by food, Um, but then it also relates to some hormonal programming that is impacting throughout the day. So there has been a, just a variety of research done over the last you know, 10, 15 years on um, skipping breakfast and what that actually does. And a lot of the initial research was really correlative. Um, and so we know with correlative research, it we can't say there's a, a cause, right? So it could just be um, that skipping breakfast, people who do that also have this other bad habit that also – has the effect right so it's it's hard with those especially the early studies where they they knew that um eating breakfast seemed to correlate with like say weight loss success success in maintaining maintaining a healthy weight um seemed to correlate with some better health outcomes, but it's not until the last um i would say five years where there started to be some really well designed crossover um, randomized control trials, and a crossover trial is a really interesting design for something like this, right? Like, obviously, if you're in a clinical trial, you know whether or not you're eating breakfast or not, right? Like, it's it's impossible to blind you to what you're doing. Um, somebody looking at your data could be blinded, but at some point, <laughs> that analysis still can't be blinded. So in the absence of being able to do what's called a double-blind Uh, clinical trial where both the participant and the person analyzing the data doesn't know what group you're in. A randomized uh, crossover is a really great design because it means that every single person in the trial is at some point in each group. And when you do each group, it is uh, randomized. So you might do control where you eat breakfast first. Uh, You might do um, the intervention where you skip breakfast second, or it might be the reverse, or there might be, you know, extra groups. I'm actually going to get into a little details of about a study where they actually compared three meals a day versus skipping breakfast versus skipping dinner. And there's quite a few studies like that, which really come from the intermittent fasting research, trying to understand the impact of these shorter feeding windows. So again, this kind of pulls from a few different places in terms of understanding skipping breakfast. Um, but there's been some, some studies that are starting to show, that regularly skipping breakfast does negatively impact metabolism in the like context of increasing risk of metabolic syndrome which is kind of scary actually um as i started updating the research and looking at some of the meta analyses which are like the pinnacle of uh, really being able to um, prove an effect in terms of clinical trials, because what a meta-analysis does is it takes, um, pools the data from multiple clinical trials and analyzes this bigger data set, which is really important for being able to hone in on the magnitude of an effect, um, as well as tease out um, details of, of different effects. So as we look at this data, um, what's really interesting is no matter what kind of group of people you select, there are measurable problems with skipping breakfast. So for example, there was a study in healthy lean women um, and they either, they it was again, a sort of crossover trial. So they either ate three meals a day for two weeks straight or they skipped breakfast for two weeks straight. And this, you know, some of these studies, the caloric intake is controlled and some of them they're not, um, this one it wasn't. But what it found was, you know, these women didn't – there wasn't a group that where they lost weight, right? They was about they, – they were all the, the same, whether they skipped breakfast or not. But when the women skipped breakfast, they had reduced insulin sensitivity, so they were developing insulin resistance. Um, they tended to eat more overall, and they were also getting um, un- what are called unfavorable fasting lipids. So that's basically like high cholesterol – in the morning, um, which is a predictor of uh like developing hyperclastremia. So what's that that's like lean, healthy people, and then there's other studies, right, that have taken now now you're taking at-risk people, taking overweight and obese participants. Um and comparing uh, shifting the um the high calorie meal of the day. Most of us have our high calorie meal at dinner. Um, And what they did with these people is they shifted the high-calorie meal to breakfast compared to high-calorie at dinner. And once they had their big meal at breakfast instead of dinner, it uh, improved their um, fasting glucose and insulin sensitivity and lowered triglycerides, which is the most important um, cardiovascular disease risk factor in a lipid panel. And they experienced weight loss, which is... Uh, like really, really fascinating. There's been a variety of other studies that have sort of looked at. Interestingly, when you skip breakfast, you have a higher glycemic response to the same meal at lunch. Um, There's a variety of studies that um, have shown now that um, women who skip breakfast, men who skip breakfast, will basically be more insulin resistant later in the day Um, there's even potentially an impact, not just on cortisol, because what's happening when you skip breakfast is your body is increasing cortisol more than it normally would in order to drive the production of glucose to meet your body's energy needs as you're getting up and getting out of bed. But it's also impacting testosterone. It's impacting sex hormone binding globulin. And these, I mentioned these couple of, um, to me, they were, they were, um, I was shocked at the magnitude of it effect um, and quite alarmed because of the implications for my own tendency to skip breakfast. So there was a a meta-analysis looking at Uh, people who routinely skip breakfast and their risk of developing type two diabetes. And even after adjusting for body mass index. So taking out the part of this where skipping breakfast is basically considered a really healthy habit for maintaining a healthy weight. So taking that piece out of the equation, which you do when you statistically uh, adjust for BMI, uh, you are 22% more likely to develop type two diabetes. If you regularly skip breakfast, I read that and went, Oh, Oh, that's that's a huge 22% is a huge magnitude effect. And it's about the same with cardiovascular disease. So there was another meta-analysis. This was only in men and women over 40. And they basically compared people who regularly skip breakfast versus people who eat three meals a day on a regular basis. And those who regularly skipped skipped breakfast were 21% more likely to experience cardiovascular disease and die from it. And the all cause mortality in that study showed that skipping breakfast resulted in a thirty two percent higher all cause mortality. These are numbers that are higher than um, higher than things like you know being sedentary or or comparable in numbers to being sedentary, comparable in numbers to to poor diet and it's it's kind of um Like I was really surprised to see such a high magnitude of an effect when we start looking at all of this data because what it's telling us is that breakfast is basically programming our metabolism, including um, how we're processing fats and how we're processing carbohydrates, right? So it's, it's impacting our blood lipids and our... Uh, glucose response and insulin sensitivity for the whole rest of the day based on whether or not we're eating breakfast. And um, and so what's fascinating is now there's studies that are starting to really kind of get more nitty-gritty. They're starting to control more factors. There was a really fascinating study published in late 2017 that I want to uh, uh, get into a little bit more detail. Um, this was another crossover design. And in this particular study... They had three groups, so they either had three meals a day, they skipped breakfast, or they skipped dinner, but what, what's really important about this study was everything was controlled. They controlled all of the food the participants were eating. They were eating uh, 55% of their calories from carbohydrate, 30% from fat, 15% from protein, um, which is in the realm of um, what macronutrients you know, should be, I would argue that it, we probably should be eating a little bit more protein than that, but it's, it's within the realm of a macronutrient breakdown from whole foods that would typically result in uh, fairly good markers of insulin sensitivity and, um, blood lipids. And what they did was then they they then looked at not just the insulin and blood sugar response, but they also looked at inflammatory responses, which is, really important here because we know that, uh, for example, having high insulin is inflammatory. We know that having high blood sugar is inflammatory and we know that having high, um, what's called free fatty acids, which is basically a lot of fats in our bloodstream after we eat is also inflammatory and that having high free fatty acids after we eat can drive the insulin resistance. So inflammation is kind of this, this mechanism holding everything together. Um, now, what was really interesting, because this was research that was done out of sort of the field of researching intermittent fasting, was that they discovered that if you skipped a meal, um, you actually did have a little bit higher uh, energy expenditure, which is one of the the main um sort of rationales why people get really, really excited about intermittent fasting was that it, you know, increases basically, you know, fat oxidation. So you're actually burning your fat stores and it increases your metabolism slightly. But what was really interesting was the participants, when they skipped breakfast, they also had higher inflammation um, and they had this impaired blood sugar response. So they're developing um, insulin resistance or, or, you know, related to the next meal that they ate. Um, and like a, a fairly intense level. So one of the, the ways of measuring this is called the HOMA index. It actually, when they, um, skipped breakfast, it was 54% lower than if they skipped dinner. So that was what was really, uh, or sorry, if this, other way around. If they skipped breakfast, it was 54% higher than if they skipped dinner. So that was what was really cool about the study was they showed that all of these metabolic effects were not related to skipping a meal, but related to skipping breakfast versus dinner. So they actually were making an argument for, um, if you're going to do intermittent fasting, having your feeding window earlier in the day and skipping dinner instead of skipping breakfast so that you can enjoy this slight increase in energy expenditure, and fat oxidation without having this increase, this 54% increase in insulin resistance, as well as this increase in inflammation, increase in inflammation, if, if I remember correctly, was like 46%. And so it's, it's a really interesting way of looking at breakfast as being this, um, this regulator of metabolism. And as more papers are trying to really get into mechanisms, right? So there's this inflammation piece. There's this hormone piece with testosterone and sex hormone binding globulin. There's also, um, some studies showing that if we eat in the morning, the, um, what's called diet induced thermogenesis. So it's basically we ate and it increased our production of body heat, um, which increases, requires energy, right? So that's part of our metabolism. Like we're burning calories just by keeping ourselves warm blooded that food is more thermogenic in the morning compared to the evening. It's actually like 44% lower um, in the evening compared to the same meal in the morning. And so it's probably related to circadian rhythm hormones and how circadian rhythm hormones feed into our metabolisms. And so we're actually really well programmed in terms of these, this entire system to consume food earlier in the day. And there is some research even showing because we need to increase cortisol um, in order to drive the production of glucose for energy if we skip breakfast, that um, there's a stress piece to all of this. so it's it's potentially why people who are stressed are more likely to skip breakfast. so it's it's more like a symptom of things not being great rather than um, in this particular through this particular lens, rather than, um, the like it's, it's, if you're stressed, you're more likely to skip breakfast rather than skipping breakfast is more likely to stress you out, even though skipping breakfast does raise cortisol. But what's interesting is it creates this like actually what's called a positive feedback loop, but one that's very, very bad to have where skipping breakfast is actually driving cortisol dysregulation caused by chronic stress which is then, of course,
0: making that person naturally not want to eat breakfast. And as I sort of branched that out... That person, from... do you want to just go ahead and insert my name as you're talking about this? I mean, Sorry. you can insert my name in here, too. That's
1: <laughs> thing. Is, uh, this thing. This one touched home uh, as I was researching, and there was maybe a few expletives um, uttered as I was discovering some of these papers. One of the other ones, just a fun fact that I found really interesting, because there's obviously a stress piece here. And that's, I recognize that as being the key driver of my natural, not healthy eating pattern is very, very clearly driven by stress. But there's also a sleep um, a piece here too. So I found one study, it was a study in adolescence, but it actually showed that they were 44% more likely to eat breakfast if they got enough sleep. So that to me is just fascinating, right? Like um, we know that sleep is really, really important for regulating metabolism, that um, getting uh, not getting enough sleep dramatically increases risk of obesity, dramatically increases risk of cardiovascular disease and type 2 diabetes, all of these things that are related to um, skipping breakfast as well. And yet those things go together. And it's one of those interesting things where we recognize that good habits tend to go together, when you start working on some good habits, you tend to kind of like accidentally develop other good habits and bad habits tend to compound as well. So when you start doing, um, uh, yeah, I don't want to say that these are necessarily choices because I don't feel like that's fair. I feel like if I was to describe my, myself and my eating habits, it doesn't feel like a choice. I really just don't want to eat first thing in the morning, um, It's almost like I have to, in order to choose to have breakfast, I have to, like, overwhelm the instinct, if that makes any sense. So it it doesn't feel like I'm choosing not to, but it does feel like like I'm choosing to eat breakfast when I'm sort of fighting that natural desire to not eat. So I don't want to say that these bad habits are choices, um, but they are the types of things that can kind of unravel, and they... They cluster together and they add to each other, right? So we know that there's an impact with already correcting for things like sleep and weight and like diet and smoking status, right? Like these types of studies um, are already trying to control as many of those factors as possible to tease out the effect of this one thing that they're evaluating. So we're able to say that um, if you don't get enough sleep, you're at higher risk of developing type two diabetes, but you're also at higher risk of not eating breakfast, which itself will increase risk of diabetes. Oh, and by the way, like we can keep this going if we want to go even beyond this topic, not getting enough sleep increases the chance that you will choose fast food over fresh fruits and vegetables, which then also increases risk of type two diabetes. So as we started to pull those threads, it's very easy to see where... um, where we can kind of have these like snowball effects in terms of our lifestyle choices. And I think we've talked about this before in terms of how sleep and stress um, or stress resilience are connected. Um, I think this is like another thing to put on this pile, like recognizing that eating breakfast and um, most importantly, a breakfast that includes some kind of high quality protein is really, really important for programming our metabolisms throughout the day, for programming our insulin system, our cortisol system, our sex hormone system is is also being impacted by um, whether or not we eat breakfast. And all of those things are better regulated and sensitivity is better maintained if we consume breakfast. And then recognizing that we are more likely to consume breakfast if we're getting enough sleep and regulating our stress. So these things feed into each other. It's, it's not one um, sort of habit in isolation that everything is linked, which I, I find that to be really empowering information because I can look at that and go, okay, so I've um, had a stressful enough autumn that uh, obviously my health is suffering. um, And there's habits that I'm sliding into related to my stress that I can work on that will help to regulate my stress, right? So eating breakfast helps to blunt that morning cortisol response when it's too elevated. And then I can um, work on all of these things together so that the it doesn't feel like I have to work really hard at one thing. It's it's kind of like this full package deal, but by, by tackling stress level and protecting sleep and then making sure that I'm eating breakfast, I'm making sure that no one choice feels really hard because each one of those things will make working on the other thing
0: easier. Can I ask a question? Yes. In any of these, what is the definition of, quote unquote, breakfast? Like, I remember... Way back in the day, like at least eight years ago, listening to a podcast with Rob Wolf um, where he talked about intermittent fasting with lifters and specifically like why they were doing certain meals and the definitions of research that they found were specific to fat and protein. So if people were drinking, for example, just coffee, it wasn't affecting their breaking a fast (laughs) breakfast, but, um, (laughs) for those of you who hadn't realized that that's what breakfast is called. Um, but if they had coffee with, um, any sort of milk in it, there is both fat and protein in that. And therefore would, uh, break the benefits of the metabolic, recovery, some of the things that you talked about, not from um, the perspective of all the other health things we're talking about, right, but like cellular regeneration and some of the other benefits that can be seen from intermittent fasting, which hopefully we're learning from this podcast is better done at a different time, (laughs) um, was ruined, so to speak, if there was any fat or protein. So I'm just wondering if, you know, and this is a complete side tangent, also in my 10 years of being part of this community, there was something, um, popular, I want to say around like six or seven years ago called the leptin diet. Um, Mm -hmm. and that focused on eating breakfast within 20 minutes of waking up, but a very specific one. And I, (laughs) I had a friend who was on it and she told me that she would like fist, I think it was four hard-boiled eggs within 20 minutes of waking up. And she was like, oh, my gosh, it's so hard. Like, I don't have any desire to eat anything. And it's, you know, difficult to get it down. So because there's this variation of definition that I'm seeing from other things, I'm wondering if any of these studies are talking about, like, how they're defining breakfast for these people who are doing it. I'm assuming it's not just a bowl of high-carb refined cereal, so to speak. You know what I mean? There's got to be something to it.
1: No, I mean, if you look at these you know, studies that are actually being really careful to control the overall caloric intake as well as the macronutrients, they're looking at um, sort of, for example, 20, two, like 2,000 or 2,200 calorie a day diets. Um, and so that's typically looking at five to 600 calorie breakfasts as a minimum. Um, The studies that are looking at comparing, right, you're having your big meal at breakfast versus your big meal at lunch. That big meal is defined as at least half of your caloric intake for the day. So then you're talking about a like 1000 calorie breakfast, which is a lot. Like if you think about there's 70 calories in an egg, four eggs is actually not a very big breakfast. It's only 28 grams of protein, um, and the fact that I have that kind of encyclopedic knowledge about the um, nutrients and eggs is not <laughs> weird at all, um, not, not in the slightest. Um, so, um, you know, that's one of the things that's really interesting. So there's been there are a couple of studies that look at a low calorie breakfast, like 200 calorie breakfast. And it seems that that actually is it's enough to break the fast. So if you're putting a couple tablespoons of fat in your coffee, even though it's the only one macronutrient, you're still breaking your fast just by the fact that there's 200 calories of fat in your coffee, while at the same time not being enough to be able to have this positive metabolic programming. So it's kind of like the worst of both worlds to be able to just have a 200-calorie coffee and call that breakfast. Um, so there's there seems to be a couple of keys here, and this is kind of pulling threads from different studies. But key one is breakfast looks like it should contain 20 to 30 uh, percent of the calories at your breakfast should be protein. And there's definitely some studies from obesity research showing that a higher protein breakfast is actually even more beneficial in terms of metabolism. So starting to hit maybe 40 to 50 percent, even though you know, it's definitely, you definitely wouldn't have 50% of your calories for the whole day from protein. Having that higher protein percent wise, because your breakfast is typically a smaller meal in the morning is overall beneficial for metabolism. And then, you know, having a breakfast that is like somewhere around, I would say, just again, sort of pulling on these different threads from both the population studies and from the clinical trials. You know, we're defining breakfast as typically 350 to 600 calories in most of these cases. I would say probably aiming for that middle modal range of four to 500 as a minimum, but also remembering that these studies showing that having your big meal at breakfast is actually quite beneficial compared to the more normal eating pattern of
0: three square meals a day and having half of your calories at dinner. So um, I'm, what, I'm- I'm wondering mm-hmm. for someone like myself. No, I know not everybody is in my position, but there's actually a significant portion of the population that doesn't have gallbladder disease, especially mm-hmm. those of us with autoimmune, because it's often like a sign of your body saying something's not right. <laughs> but yeah, no. um, so I'm wondering for someone like myself. So I have this is not not a plug but you're welcome um found that the collagen veggie smoothie when combined with coffee and half a frozen banana is something that my body Mm -hmm. can do and I kind of pace it it's not like I drink it all within two minutes which I think helps my body digest it um that would be micronutrient rich protein rich it would not be a significant portion of my calories for the day Uh, But it would be more than just a coffee. So I know that works for me. So I'm going to offer that as a suggestion because I think it does hit a lot of the marks that you're talking about. Um, And I have found, too, that once I have that, that then I can have, for example, I often bring like hard-boiled eggs with me or something like that that I can um, have after once I've started the digestive process. So as we all are listening to this and thinking, okay, what can I do to improve this um like my kids all eat scrambled eggs for breakfast and usually a piece of fruit and we'll we try to add veggies usually it's like leftover veggies we just throw in with scrambled eggs um as we shove them out the door in the morning um so I feel like my my kids are much better than Matt and I both are I can't do scrambled eggs in the morning like I just my my body can't do it so I'm trying to figure out like what I can do to best support my health.
1: So um, what your bile does, I feel like this is like the necessary, like let's remind ourselves. Everybody's like,
0: what's wrong with Stacey? No,
1: like let's, I I just like, let's take a step up. Like, you know, I think you're right that gallbladder disease is really common and there's definitely a significant proportion of our listeners who probably don't have gallbladders. So your liver produces this thing called bile bile is stored in the gallbladder and then when you eat a big meal there's uh, a hormonal stimulus to the gallbladder to basically like squeeze all of the bile into the small intestine and what bile does is it helps to break apart fat into smaller droplets so that the fat digesting enzymes that are produced by your pancreas can actually break apart the molecule so basically you have to break fat up into these tiny droplets in order for your fat digesting enzymes to be efficient and so you're when you don't have a gallbladder you still are producing bile you're just it's constantly leaking into your digestive tract rather than having that like big you know bolus of it right when you eat and so what that means is your ability to digest a high fat meal is reduced because you can't Get enough bile into it into your small intestine to be able to break that fat up into smaller pieces so that your lipases from your pancreas can actually access them which is why taking something like ox bile I know I said we'd find solutions that were not related to supplements but just for our listeners um, that's why taking ox bile or bile salts with each meal is something that uh, endocrinologists who remove uh, or not endocrinologists sorry gastroenterologists who remove gallbladders I think I'm gonna use your favorite word. I think be it, recommending to other
0: patients. I think it's an appropriate use. And I wish someone would have mentioned anything about my digestion changing when they told me that nothing would change when they removed my gallbladder. It's unnecessary, it serves no purpose. Liars.
1: Right. Um, but here's here's the here's the cat here's the main point of all of that. Your ability to digest carbohydrates and proteins is not impacted by not having a gallbladder. So that is related completely to pancreatic enzymes as well as uh, digestive enzymes produced by your stomach and in your saliva. And so um, at least on paper, for somebody without a gallbladder, it, I would expect it to be easier to digest a lower fat breakfast that has more carbohydrate and protein. Yeah,
0: um, that, is, that, that is 100% the case for me. I think my original blog post was called how to eat bacon without a gallbladder because (laughs) in the morning having fat is impossible. Mm -hmm. And I I do want to say to our listeners like there's absolutely nothing wrong with medicine or supplements. I did not just ox bile but um, digestive enzymes for years. And um, it's a lot like I just personally don't like taking pills and supplements. It's, it's just a personal, like, I don't like the way it feels. I, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like a statement or a judgment on anybody else. So, um, having to do it and the the timing is also very important and you have to know how many to take based on, Mm -hmm. you know, what you're going to eat and all that kind of stuff. And so it puts a large amount of complexity on food. And for me being someone who has a propensity for disordered eating It really kind of messes with my mind in a way that I'd like to not go back to. So when I say things like I don't want to take supplements, I'm I'm simplifying something that's very complex. I've worked very hard to be able to understand my body, which is why I know that that collagen veggie smoothie, which, as you'll note, is very low in fat, the only fat in there are some, I don't think Almond I mean, there's milk. almost no fat. That's yeah. the only, It's like very, very, very minimal amount of fat. And like I said, then after I do it, I'm able to have an egg. But I thought for a really long time that I had an egg allergy because I would have eggs for breakfast and get super sick. And even just the minimal amount of fat from eggs in the morning was enough to make everybody out (laughs) so um (laughs) if you're having difficulty and for me like brunch is something that i have to plan for like if we're gonna go have brunch or even the same thing applies for like a very large dinner i have to be mindful to have a balanced amount of um protein and carbs like i can't even if you told me that keto was the best diet in the world like i can't do keto my body cannot physically do it good thing i would never say that i know but (laughs) What, what I know is that my my body can't do that. And when I was low carb, high fat, paleo is when my thyroid went into a flare because I was constantly not digesting food. It was running right through me and I wasn't absorbing micronutrients. So my hair was falling out. I had all kinds of digestive issues and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, all of that comes from not paying attention to digestion. So you might have an entirely different situation like let's say you do have a gallbladder but you've had you know some sort of other gastrointestinal um uh issue for example um Crohn's, like your ability to digest carbohydrates is going to be completely different from my ability Mm -hmm. to digest carbohydrates. So um, it's important to understand that about yourself so that you can think through, okay, what are some things that I can do to set myself up for success? And for me, that collagen veggie smoothie is something that works really well for me because It has, um, carbohydrate, it has micronutrients, it has a protein that that is gentle. It's like a predigested protein, collagen for me, um, you know, like all of the stuff that, that helps. And, um, it gets boring day after day, day, I will admit, but, um, it's a, it's a good solution until I figure out something else in the meantime. So, so,
1: um, just in the, in the wrapping up and sort of like throwing out ideas for different breakfasts um as i was researching for this podcast and recommitting myself to consuming breakfast um i one of the things that the autoimmune protocol did for me which i think is overall very very positive for my life was it really broke that association of certain foods as breakfast foods for me so i no longer think of the only acceptable breakfasts as being like porridge and breakfast cereal and bagels and like scrambled eggs and bacon um i think that anything that I can get that's quick, um, and healthy counts. And so I've, for a long time, um, really relied on leftovers as a breakfast food, or if I'm in my sumo dieting (laughs) phase as a lunch food, um, but now it's going to be breakfast. Um, the other thing that I do is in, um, Paleo principles and in the Paleo approach cookbook, and I've got a variety of of recipes also on my site for homemade um, sausage mix. Um, so just the seasonings that you would add to ground meat to make sausage. And what I do is I I make uh, every two to three weeks I make six pounds of it, so it's like a double recipe based on like something out of Paleo principles. Um, my favorite is the Italian sausage recipe in Paleo principles, and uh, I make. Uh, like two dozen sausage patties, I bake them and then I freeze them on the baking sheet. And then once they're frozen, I I trans- transfer them to a reusable container, freeze- uh, freezer safe container. Um, so that then that sausage patty is like a minute to reheat in the microwave for breakfast. And now suddenly there's like a high quality protein that's really, really fast and also relatively inexpensive because I made it myself and I was able to control all of the ingredients that went into it. And so that is, for example, what I had for breakfast this morning, because after doing this research, I realized that there was no way I was going to record the podcast about how important it is to eat breakfast after having skipped breakfast. That was not a thing that was going to happen. So um, that is one of the things that I always have in the house. I really make it for my kids, but now I'm working on like, if I can't find anything else, that's it. I love soups for breakfast. Um, so I you will sometimes make...
0: St- thunder you oh, know sorry. that's my thing do you, do you know where i got the idea of soup for breakfast there Stacey? you go i i, I appreciate you i appreciate the shout out thank I you i got it from you and was introduced to its deliciousness by matt soup super <laughs> soup stacy was a hashtag that was like super popular back in the day when i would share my meals every day it was like um and here's the same soup
1: <laughs> that was like the beyond bacon writing days where you had like pork
0: broth in the fridge at yeah. all times. No, I couldn't do pork broth every morning, but um, cause it's higher fun. But um, yeah, egg drop soup was popular with the boys but there's not very much vegetables we would do carrot shavings in there but we would like chop up leftover vegetables and just like throw it in a pot with broth and he would send me off to work with it every morning and definitely gotten out of the habit of that kind of thing ironically with being home like the shuffle of oh I got to take Finn to school and let me just grab this travel mug of coffee um has gotten me out of the habit, so I'm going to work on getting back into the habit. Not just on smoothies, but um, soup for breakfast is also super easy to meal plan. Like, yeah, you know, you make it one batch on the weekends, and we just put up an epic broth tutorial on our blog using an Instapot because our uh, tutorial from six years ago, I think it was, can you believe six years ago was our broth tutorial, um, didn't include an Instapot. So we just updated it with an Instapot this week. So, um, if you need a reminder on how easy it is to get soft bones, we also did an entire podcast on how to make good broth here. So go back and listen to that. But soup, soup for breakfast is like, it, it is, such a good, um, way to start the day for me. Like, I just feel like it sets me up for success. And last year I did a daily soup thing in January and like my body just feels so freaking good when I have soup every day.
1: Yeah. Isn't it funny how we do things and we feel so good and then we do it for a month and then we stop. <sighs> I, I, I feel like, uh, human nature, something, 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 something. No, I, um, I, I've been aware of the research showing that breakfast is really, really an important meal for a number of years. I mean, I think the first time I wrote about breakfast as an important meal of the day was on my blog was in 2013. Uh, So again, uh, it's been, it's been a minute, but just the the couple of new meta-analyses from 2019 really drove this home to me that this is now like, I'm not waiting for January's resolution. I am committing, (laughs) I started already um, that, that, um, I'm going to really work on breakfast. And one of the things that I have done before, because the hardest for me is, is to eat breakfast on my way to the gym because I'm leaving the house so early and I'm, I tend to be, you know, getting, helping the kids get ready for school. And then I typically have typically had a preference of working out faster than, um, eating breakfast afterwards. And I'm going to work on changing that too. And having, more protein before I go to the gym. And so one of the things that I am, I literally have on my kitchen counter right now is an assembly line for pre-making smoothies, um, with protein powder and collagen veggie blend and, um, some real mushrooms, um, five defenders, mushroom powders and, and some cocoa powder. And, um, and I have it in the assembly line to put them just in Mason jars so that I can literally add water and shake on my way out the door. And so that is set up (laughs) as soon as we didn't finish recording. That is my task is to make sure that I have a full week's worth of smoothie breakfasts for specifically for the mornings that I am heading out the door to the gym. And then the other mornings I have more time and I can have a bowl of soup or some leftovers or the aforementioned sausage patty with some sauerkraut and some fruit, which is one of my sort of go-to AIP breakfasts. Um, But I think that the the biggest takeaway that i want for our listeners out of this is that it is if skipping breakfast is something that you're used to doing it is a worthwhile habit to form to consume breakfast and whether that's easiest for you to make yourself a smoothie or easiest for you to you know grab a you know, chomp snack sticks and a bag of wild Zora and a couple of, you know, a piece of fruit. Oh, or if it's easiest for you to just always make sure that you have leftovers from the night before that you can have for breakfast, there's a lot of different ways to solve that problem of how do I get healthy food into my body first thing in the morning when I'm tired and I I really don't want to have to go to any effort. Like that to me is what breakfast is, is the meal that doesn't require work. (laughs) That sets us up for the day. And what this research shows us is it's it's worth figuring out how to solve that challenge in our own individual lives so that breakfast is not a chore and that it's not an unusual like special Sunday treat, but that it's something that we do every day.
0: I like it. I'm going to try.
1: Uh, me too. <laughs> me
0: too. <laughs> how about we all... On social media, you tag us, and we will make an effort to share what? Share breakfast. Yeah, share mm-hmm. breakfast, what's working for us, and hopefully inspire us all to make it happen. I do think it makes so much sense, and this is what they did in the olden days, to have, like, a larger breakfast. It makes so much sense mm-hmm. that you would eat the preponderance of your calories before you were about to expend those calories in energy use versus at the end of your day when
1: you're you know what I mean like no, you when you need it before you cut down the
0: trees yes exactly to make Your cabin exactly like when woods. did our culture decide that when you got home and you were like oh yeah I'm ready to wind down like that's when to consume all of your calories it doesn't make any sense to me I blame the invention of the television I think yeah okay all right well <laughs> I'm just gonna just that Before we open that can of worms, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to wrap up the show and say, "Um, he- healthy breakfast to you, soups, smoothies, leftovers, frittatas and scrambles with leftover veggies and whatever else you've got in your fridge. What is, uh, Nom Nom Paleo calls it something, Um, garbage something, Gar- I think she calls it like garbage scramble, whatever. Whatever it is you're you're doing, just throw it in there and hopefully you can have um, an an energized, stable day (laughs) with a healthy breakfast. (laughs) I think it's interesting. You know, we do we do more for like our loved ones than we do for ourselves. So when I think about this and I think about how I make sure that my boys have like a good breakfast before they go off to school, especially when there's SOLs. We make a big deal out of like they get to choose what they're having for breakfast that day. And you know what I mean? And then and then I'm like, what am I doing for myself? I'm looking at my empty coffee cup right now. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I need to do better. So um awesome. Well we will be back again next week and it's a topic that I am super excited about. Actually we just planned out our calendar for the next five weeks, which we rarely do not just because we're not planners but specifically because we like to be responsive to what's happening in the world and um frankly we know what's happening over the next month the holidays are happening and we Mm -hmm. hope that you had a wonderful Thanksgiving and we're excited to talk about a lot of topics that um often come up around this time of year and um I mean I'm always excited when I get to submit questions (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i hope you're excited too prerogative. <laughs> do what i want i'm complimentary of sarah and she says yes i like that idea that's it that's how it works <laughs> yeah. awesome well thanks for listening and if you have follow-up questions that you'd like us to cover um d- dive deeper into or other topics that you want um you can submit them through the link on our website you can Always please engage and comment with us on social media. We love to hear from you. Share your breakfast, tag us in it. And um, we look forward to chatting with you again next week. Thanks for listening. And welcome back. You're <laughs> back to the future. Um, I What I think was most resonating for me about the show other than the fact that this is something that is hard for me and something I have to actively work towards, um, and be mindful of. And truthfully, even after the show, I I am not the best at, but strive towards. Um, but the thing that kind of like was really, um, impactful for me was this idea of, um, we did a follow-up show 386 about intermittent fasting Mm -hmm. where we, talked about the timing of that and, and the natural cycles. And then in a more recent show, I don't even remember which one it was, we also talked about um, how the body is triggered to be awake by a meal in the morning. And therefore, if you go long periods of time without eating, you're, you're telling your body it's a time to rest. You're telling your body that it's time to be asleep. And so you're not just from like a hormonal perspective, not just from like, you know, all the different kinds of things that we talked about, but it was also kind of a, hey, this is a way to be less tired. This is a way to get your body in a circadian rhythm of, you know, just a general, um, what your body is expecting to be energized and to be awoken and why, That is so important when it comes to kind of like an intermittent fasting window, because if you're skipping breakfast and not eating until, let's say, dinner time, how very tired you would feel. Like, let's just set aside all the rest of like the health things that we talked about, about what that's telling your body. It's telling your body that you're trying to be in a sleep state. Um, And so you and I had kind of like had conversations about how these things have been interparsed through some of the follow-up shows that we've done and I know we wanted to kind of like have that full circle conversation but then even more science came out and you're like no no we really need to have a conversation about this
1: (laughs) for sure and I think um you know one of the things that I learned um I mean some some months ago uh time time's been weird lately let's let's be honest and it's even weirder on this show but um But one of the things that I learned was that skipping breakfast can actually prolong the morning cortisol spike. And what that effectively does is increase your what's called the area under the curve. So if you think about your your cortisol kind of has this big spike in the morning a little bit before you wake up, and then it slowly drops off during the day. And then certain things like eating uh, will give you a little bit of a, a boost in cortisol, Um, obviously anything that triggers a stress response will give you a little bit of a boost in cortisol. So it's kind of like a wobbly line down, but overall it sort of decreases throughout the day and it should be at its lowest, basically when you're going to bed and your melatonin is at its highest. And so as somebody who has had, um, you know, chronic adrenal insufficiency due to chronic stress and has been, um, managing stress with a functional medicine specialist, um, for years and years and years now, you know, knowing that something as simple as eating breakfast can help regulate my cortisol was a really important um, addendum to the research that we were talking about in this previous episode. And there's a variety of studies, and we'll add these all to the show notes, that actually show that uh, just eating breakfast results in lower stress levels, better mental health, and better physical health. And, um, And studies that have looked at uh, objective measures of stress and looked at salivary cortisol show that that's, that's the driver. And so it's, it's in addition to meal timing being at like an important circadian uh, rhythm signal. Um, but it's, it, it is potentially this impact on cortisol that is the, the mediating effect between um, breakfast consumption and insulin sensitivity, because we know that Uh, chronic stress, high cortisol decreases insulin sensitivity and can lead to insulin resistance. So stress is a major signal into glucose regulation and insulin sensitivity. And so if we think about it from that respect, we're basically saying that not eating breakfast is a stressor. Um, And this also may be why um, there's been some studies showing that the Effects are even higher in women, so women who skip breakfast regularly tend to have a disrupted cortisol rhythm, um, and effects that you would expect with that, like um, higher blood pressure, right, cardiovascular disease risk factors, um, and so when we look at that that as sort of a mechanism, or at least one contributing mechanism, um, understanding breakfast consumption can be a tool for stress management is, is really, to me, it's sort of like, um, I mean, it's fascinating. It's mind blowing, but it's also to me, it really helps me understand why I feel so different when I skip breakfast versus when I regularly consume it.
0: I, Feel that slash hear that. <laughs> I, um, you know, I've shared before about not having a gallbladder and having been a vegetarian for seven years, like breakfast is such a hard balance for me, but it is something that I really genuinely know is good and important to figure out. Um, and so one of the other things that I wanted to kind of like mention and remind people that we... We talk about in the show it being a certain size of caloric value and how, you know, coffee with cream and collagen is not a classification for um, breakfast, right? It's not activating mm-hmm. digestion and it's not significant enough from a calorie perspective. But um, what I personally find if you struggle with stomach acid in the morning for a variety of reasons, there's a lot of reasons for that, Um in addition to supplements that you could work on with a medical professional, you can also eat like a series of small things over the course of, you know, a bit of time in the morning and work up that digestion and and work waking up your system. And I find that this really works well for me for things like, you know, just having hard boiled eggs made and being able to, to grab them with my coffee. And then once I've kind of woken up a little bit, maybe add more of different things in still within a you know breakfast window not waiting like an hour or two but for me if I try to like sit down and eat a large meal at breakfast I don't feel well and we don't want you to not feel well either right we can come up with alternative solutions and I think really encouraging yourself to try to find the things that work for you and work towards getting that meal in can be of great value especially with the overwhelming science that we're seeing now um supporting why for a multitude of reasons this is good. Well
1: and let's talk about the the new study that that really made me want to to revisit this this topic. Um, it was just presented at the endocrinology conference. And so it we're still waiting for the peer-reviewed published paper. Um, so Keep in mind that these are preliminary results. But to me, when we consider this in the context of, you know, research showing that, um, you know, breakfast is really important for cardiovascular disease risk, for diabetes risk, um, for uh, insulin management, for stress management, um, there's even been studies done recently that have shown that. Consuming breakfast actually decreases risk of uh, depressive symptoms. Um, there was a, a study just published last month that showed that regular um, breakfast skipping increased all-cause mortality in a American cohort and uh, cancer-related mortality, which is really fascinating because it's um, there's been studies uh, also showing that um, skipping breakfast can activate some inflammatory pathways, um, so that. We've got these sort of like mechanistic understandings through the immune system and through these really important uh, hormones, right? Insulin and cortisol of of how. Uh, breakfast as a habit can can lead to better health outcomes. So what this study did was they they analyzed data from the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey from over 10,500 adults. And what they did was they divided participants into three groups, depending on the total duration of food intake. So their, their goal with this study was to really look at um, time-restricted feeding, which is what we we technically call intermittent fasting, and looking at uh, what we talked about in episode 386 and a little bit in this episode of that early time-restricted feeding window where you're consuming, say, breakfast and lunch versus a late uh, feeding window where you're consuming uh, lunch and dinner, right? So the idea of, you know, if you're going to shorten the, the time window um, that previous studies have shown that you can avoid the inflammatory effects and the insulin resistance effects of breakfast skipping by moving that window earlier in the day. So the this, this study was really designed to, to examine that in more detail and, and really expand our understanding of time-restricted feeding. And so what they did is they looked at people who had a feeding window of less than 10 hours, a feeding window of 10 to 13 hours, and a feeding window of 13 hours or more. And then they created uh, six different subgroups based on when people started eating. So did they basically did they have breakfast? so their their cutoff was eight thirty in the morning. So were they eating, did they start eating before eight thirty, or did they start eating after eight thirty? And then they looked at fasting blood sugar, um estimated insulin resistance. And what they found was that insulin resistance was higher um with a shorter eating interval duration and lower across all of the groups who started eating before 8:30 in the morning which really it, i mean it's it's another nail in the intermittent fasting coffin because it actually showed that the thing that mattered the shorter eating duration time was not good from a insulin resistance perspective and that the thing that actually mattered was breakfast right the thing that mattered was not just breakfast but an early breakfast um i'm really looking forward to when the the full uh, you know the full analysis is published so that i can really dig into the data i'm really interested to see how that breakfast time correlates with wake time um so we can kind of infer that probably most of those people just based on averages were awake between 6 and 7 so we're talking about probably something like eating breakfast within two hours of getting up. I'm interested to see if that was part of their statistical analysis, if they corrected for that. Um, So that's something I'm definitely, we don't, we don't yet know from this study. But what was really fascinating was, you know, just being able to show that regardless of the feeding window time. So, so whether it was, uh, eight hours were 14 hours people who ate breakfast early had lower blood sugar levels less insulin resistance and reduced risk of developing type 2 diabetes and that that lower that shorter feeding window actually was problematic um, and I think this is consistent with all of the data that we've shared um, on this episode as well as episode 386 um, but I really felt like this this study we don't talk about we don't talk about um, Studies presented at conferences very often on this show because um, there are studies that still need to go through the publication process. It's always better to talk about a study once all of that data is out. But I think that um, in the context of more and more scientific research, not just confirming the health benefits of regularly consuming breakfast, but also um, getting into the mechanisms, right? Understanding that um skipping breakfast is a stressor and that can be driving insulin resistance and higher blood sugar levels, I think is is really important to emphasize. And so I think that as we sort of wrap up this this episode, I want to reiterate, Stacey, what you've sort of said about you know going slow. I am a person who has to be very dedicated to consuming breakfast regularly. It is not my natural eating pattern. And I think it's not my natural eating pattern because I really struggle with chronic stress and stress can inhibit appetite, but also increase appetite and also just change when you have appetite. And I think that's the effect for me. I think my cortisol being high in the morning inhibits my appetite. And then I want to eat all the things later in the day. And what I found since I don't know what we, you're talking about.
0: That doesn't sound no, familiar at all. Not at all. Not at all.
1: Um, not not a not an eating pattern that that you've had experience with in Never. any way, shape, or form. Never. What I have found since we originally addressed this topic, and I, I said this was this was an episode that really made me change my habits and really made me try to figure out um, breakfast and figure out breakfast before. I mean, this was pre-COVID, so for me, it was how do I eat before I go to the gym. And what I found was that it completely regulated my energy levels. I stopped having that energy crash in the afternoon that I was sort of, I mean, I knew it was related to stress, but I had no idea that just eating breakfast could be the fix for it. And um, it actually really dramatically regulated my appetite throughout the day and my sugar cravings throughout the day. Not to say that I don't sometimes have sugar cravings or want still want to eat all the things at four o'clock in the afternoon, but that the improvement was very noticeable. It was noticeable within a, a matter of days. And, um, and it's something that it's not the only fix, right? It's we still need good sleep. We still need to manage stress. Um, we still need a nutrient dense diet. We still need activity. All of those things are also feeding into uh, cortisol regulation and insulin sensitivity. But for me, this was a really big, piece uh of my personal health puzzle that had such a simple fix um and uh, and I say simple from the 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 concept not necessarily simple to do it again I still I still have to listen
0: if the alternative, choose breakfast I was gonna say if the alternative is like Potentially AIP, right? And I say mm-hmm. that because we're talking about inflammation and stress in the body being an being an activate, activated by missing breakfast. And those things also can activate your autoimmune. It doesn't mean eating breakfast is going to make your autoimmune disease go into remission. I just want to be very clear about that. But let's say that this is maybe like the one thing that helps your body de-stress a little bit is to have an earlier meal and you get to add more things to your non-elimination list like count me in man <laughs> you know what i yep. mean if i can have more variety and less stress and all, what i need to do is to like set a reminder for myself to go eat breakfast because it's not a natural feeling that i have and ps that's what i have to actually do um then that's worth it to me do you know like that to me that's like no brainer i'm in But it is something that for many of us who have either that cycle that you're talking about, I think also in addition to that high cortisol, I'm also having reduced stomach acid and all of those kinds of things that also um, are a physical reminder for breakfast that doesn't Mm -hmm. happen for me. And so I, I have to actively work towards that. And I, I will say that, um, When I am on top of it and I am consistent with it, I experience all the same things as you. And so I hope that that gives hope to people who are looking for easy ways to tweak because I would agree with you like, no, it's not You know, it's we're not telling you that this is like a super easy thing because we recognize that changing your pattern of any kind um, is a habit change, which is a difficult thing to break. But that it's when compared to some of the other things where you might have to, like, make your own fomato sauce because there's no nightshades, (laughs) like, relatively to the amount of effort that goes into something, this um, is easier to execute if you just... Um, hard boil some eggs and keep them in your fridge and can grab them or, you know, whatever your go to breakfast of choice is. That just happens to be super convenient for me and is the like protein and fat that um, I'm looking for. And then I often have like a banana with it because that's a nice um, fiber carb for me that is easily digestible. Mm -hmm. Um, I also, as Sarah, despises really enjoy smoothies um and I put whole vegetables frozen fruits and things like that in there not just you know powders and proteins and no juices right like it's it's, and what I think it does for me Sarah that probably um you don't need so much of is it's a pre-digestion, right? It's like pre-digesting yeah. the spinach for me and things like that that make it easier for me in the morning. So I think the thing to do is to really just find the things that are quick and easy for you so that you're more likely to reach for them and do them. So thanks for listening to our first, like, what are we calling this? The The bonus mm-hmm. show or, this you is know. the the best of or uh, our favorites or... Going Uh, back in time. Important
1: updates. So many. So many good.
0: I'll be curious to see what what we and the team choose as the best name for this. (laughs) Because you, listener, already know what it's called because it's in your show. Uh, But thanks so much for being here. And if you're curious what we really think uh, make sure to tune in to patreon we are still doing Patreons for all these shows honestly this would probably be pretty interesting to hear what we really think about yeah. shows we're revisiting because there's a reason we revisit so thanks so much we'll be back next week do you love the whole view podcast we'd love for you
1: to leave us a review wherever you listen and share a podcast with your friends and family
0: did you know that you can now get exclusive behind the scenes content on patreon for less than the price of an almond milk matcha a month your patreon membership supports us and gets you access to a monthly bonus episode
1: but not for kids ears because our bonus content is explicit you can find us as the whole view on patreon for our real unfiltered thoughts on this week's episode